Life Church created this podcast because we all need healthy conversations with real people. So this podcast is here to help you start conversations with your life group, friends, and family. Now, on to the show. Welcome to the You've Heard It Said podcast. This is Allie. And Jason. And we actually have one of our storytellers with us, Laura. Hey. Hey, Laura. And we thought we would just jump right in with a question. What is your earliest experience with the Bible? So my earliest experience, it's not really my earliest experience, but it's probably my most formative when I was young, was my dad had this, it was called, I think, the Picture Bible, but it was the Bible laid out in comic book form, essentially. But it, for, for being in comic book form, it was surprisingly detailed in terms of the narratives in the Bible, and it actually set me up to have a really good foundation for understanding how the Bible all pieced together, whether it's stories about Noah or stories about King David. I understood how everything fit together because of this 1970s illustrated comic book Bible. Wow, I wish I could see that. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) I feel like some of the Bible stories would not be very kid-friendly in comic book form. Yeah, no. (laughs) Like, how did they handle that? I don't even remember, but I know that they definitely like they're like when Jezebel dies and she's thrown out the window, that's that was in there. Oh my right. goodness. Oh. I know. <laughs> oh. <laughs> so for me, um again, maybe not my earliest, but one that I remember is first time I remember going to Sunday school. Our Sunday school teacher is like, okay, kids, we're going to memorize Psalm 121. <laughs> and I'm like, <laughs> like, it's not just like one verse. I mean, it's like the entire Psalm 121, which I don't know how old I was, but I was young. And I was like, not happening. And then she goes, and if you do, you get this big giant rubber spider. And <laughs> as a kid, I like loved bugs. In fact, I'd always be out on this mountain behind our house catching lizards and stuff. And so I did it and my mom would help me, you know, each night I memorized it. And then uh, a couple of years later, I had a chance to um, do it again, like at my school as a Christian school, there was a speech meet and I could, you know, say the scripture and then talk about what it meant to me. So I asked my mom again for some help, like, what should I say? And she said, well, how are you feeling about your grandma? And my grandma had just passed away. Mm -hmm. Uh, It was my dad's mom. And uh, let me just read Psalm 121 to you. Uh, At least the beginning says, I lift up my eyes to the mountains. Where does my help come from? My help comes from the Lord, the maker of heaven and earth. And my little mind just goes straight to that mountain where I'd be chasing lizards and spiders. And it goes on, he will not let your foot slip. He who watches over you will not slumber. Indeed, he who watches over Israel will neither slumber nor sleep. And it keeps going. You can read it. But basically, here I am learning to grieve my grandmother, realizing that it's not the mountains or nature or science that takes care of me. It's not even that God sends some angels or that things just work out. The maker of mountains is who takes care of me. So that's my earliest uh, formative memory with scripture. Man, that's beautiful. Yeah. I mean, I love that you guys had such formative experiences when you were young. Like um, that was definitely not my experience. Um, I, 
I don't know what my like earliest memory was, but I mostly associated it with like, we had a few leather copies like around our house, but we never really opened them. And I would say that my exposure to scripture was more of like wall art or like crosses <laughs> or like inspirational Pinterest quotes or things like that. And so I just always kind of associated it with something that people used like to make themselves feel better, like inspirational quotes. And I didn't really see the people who shared it as people who lived it out or people who used that as something that they could use to like build their lives around. It was more of just like, oh yeah, I got my coffee mug that says I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. So, you he know, that was for you. He does. Jeremiah 29, 11, tattoos and all. I'd say a lot of people see the Bible this way as an old book with inspirational sayings to get you through tough times, but as little more than that. And when I was thinking about this issue, I couldn't help but think about a meeting we had with a guy named Jason Falada. Jason is the interim CEO of Tear Fund USA, which is one of Life Church's global missions partners. And he shared with us the impact that the Bible had on his life and his story, it left us all really fired up. So I thought it would be great to sit down with Jason and have him share his story for the podcast too. I grew up in a Christian family and I had learned all of this, you know, typical stories of scripture. I obviously knew about Noah and the flood and Adam and Eve and Moses and the Exodus and of course Jesus, but I had never myself really, really, really studied the Bible. And as I grew up and especially entered into high school, I started to notice that there were a lot of different ways that I was being instructed or taught to have intimacy with God, to grow closer to God, and to live a life worthy, as Scripture says, of the calling I've received. And I noticed that there were just different things that I could do, different teachings. And so I found myself really torn between the faith that I was raised in by my parents, which was highly informed by their experience having experienced discrimination and threats of violence as Christians in Egypt and the faith that I was experiencing in suburban Chicago where I grew up and at my local church. And there was some tension between those two teachings and ways of living. And it was a struggle for me. And I became really, really cynical because of that. And I had a hard time really doing anything that you could describe as churchy and had a really hard time with corporate worship and had a hard time just feeling like I was a part of a faith community because I saw and felt this tension and didn't know what to do with it. Throughout all of that, though, I maintained a prayer life because I had experienced God's presence in prayer. I had seen prayers answered. I knew God was real and I had, I had experienced him. It would be more absurd for me to not believe in God than it was to believe if you know what I mean. And so I maintained this prayer life, but my faith was very personal and it was super distant from any kind of church or action in the world. Now, I talk about this tension I felt between this faith that was highly informed by the persecuted church in Egypt and then this faith that felt very different. And it wasn't until 2004, when I was a junior in college, that I felt driven 
to reconcile this tension somehow, to stop believing that I knew everything, to return to scripture and see who God says he was. I had been hearing so many people talk about who God is, and I finally decided to go to the source, to go to God's word. And so I was shocked at what I saw and what I read and things that I had never learned about. And so one of those things, for example, if we just go through scripture chronologically, when I got to the law, the books of the law, Leviticus, Deuteronomy, I had never been taught those books and I never knew anything of what was in them. And I found this law called the year of Jubilee. And I had never heard about this before. And the year of Jubilee was this law that said that every seven years, the land would have to rest. People would stop farming certain plots of land, give it a rest. It also said that every 50 years, slaves would be set free, that debts would be canceled, and that any land that had changed ownership in that time period would go back to the original owners. It was like a reset button on the economy. And this was God's law for his people, the nation of Israel. And the reason for the law, as it's explained in scripture, was that God knew that if we were left to our own devices, we would make bad decisions, that people would take advantage of each other, that there would be injustice, and that people who were the most poor and the most vulnerable needed a chance to recover because human nature would take over our society and would hurt people. And I saw that in a new light. I always knew that God had rescued his people from slavery, but I had not seen the details of it. I had not seen that, you know, the Israelites had cried out to God and that in Exodus 3, God responds and says, I have heard my people crying out to me in Egypt, that God was so personally involved that he listened to these people's prayers. And it was so powerful for me to read this account to know that God heard my prayers too, that it wasn't just the slaves in Egypt. It was me. It was my family. It was my friends. When we cried out that God was actually listening, I learned so much more. I could keep going. But in the Exodus story, the other thing that I learned when I finally read this for myself was that every single plague that happened was a plague that wasn't random. It was teaching the people something about the nature of God. And so every single plague was actually related to an Egyptian God, a deity that the Egyptians worshiped. So there was like a God of the Nile, a God of the harvest, a God of fertility, all these different gods. And every single plague essentially showed that thing that you think is in charge of this is not God. There's only one God. And this God wants to free his children from slavery. I'm not going to go into all the stories I read in this much detail, but, you know, I went from uh, Genesis and Exodus and the, the law, the books of the law onward to the prophets. And I read about the prophets and how God called these people to really, really preach to his children, to preach to the nation of Israel, to call them back into life with him, to call them back into following the law. And again, the law was things that would bring order to society, that would return people to a place of living alongside of each other and their relationships with each other and their relationships with God that were made right and made whole. And then, of course, I got to Jesus and the New Testament. When Jesus 
gave his first sermon in Luke chapter 4, he reads the scroll of Isaiah and says, I have come to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor. The year of the Lord's favor, as Jesus is quoting from the book of Isaiah, was Isaiah quoting the year of Jubilee back from the books of the law, the year of the Lord's favor. And in that quote of Jesus, he is also referring to a passage in the Old Testament where God identifies himself as God who has rescued you from Egypt. And I saw this thread that God's choice to even identify himself when he spoke to his people throughout the whole Old Testament was often as the God who rescued you from slavery. In that Jesus, God's son, who finally gave his public declaration of his ministry, that he is here and he is here to preach good news, that he chose to quote the passage that was about the year of Jubilee and as God's identity is the God who rescued you from slavery. Jesus was making a huge statement when he did that. And so I'm talking so much now about scripture itself, not how it changed my life. Well, after I read the Gospels and then read the letters in the New Testament and read about the early church and all these things, I came to this burning conclusion that God was up to something massive, that God was doing something so much bigger than trying to save just me, that Christ had not only lived and died and been resurrected to save me and bring me into a right relationship with my heavenly father. But he had done this to transform everything about the world we live in, that everything that had been broken was going to be restored. We see a description of that in Revelation 21, where it says, a new heaven and a new earth, uh, the king will sit upon the throne in the new heaven and the new earth. And in this new kingdom where Jesus is king, there will be no more death, no more tears, no more pandemics, no more disease, no more crying, no more sorrow, that this would be the place where all things were made right. And so 2004, I read the Bible straight through for the first time, and I've literally been flying by the seat of my pants mm -hmm. ever since. I saw God's vision and action for the restoration of all things, all sadness, all injustice, all brokenness, all despair, that God did not turn a blind eye to these things, that God grieved these things, that he heard the cries of his people. I saw an invitation to me as a follower of Jesus to do my little tiny part of being a part of God's movement on this earth. And so reading scripture fundamentally changed my life. It not only taught me who God was, it taught me what he was up to and what the invitation was for me to be a part of it. And it's become practice for me to continue reading the Bible. Once is not enough, <laughs> but to continually be formed by scripture, to continually be reminded who God is and to continually try to live in a way that is consistent with who he says he is and what he wants from me as his child. I'm Laura, and this is your Church History Minute. Here's how it was. 
Back when the Protestant Reformation was getting off the ground, regular people didn't have easy access to the Bible. Most were dependent on religious leaders to hear God's word, which made it difficult for them to learn how to interpret the word on their own. But Martin Luther wanted to make the Bible more accessible for everyone. So he translated the Bible into German, and not the German spoken by wealthy people or academics. He ventured into towns and marketplaces so he could hear how everyday people spoke and used that language in his translation of the Bible. The result? Well, as Johann Cochleus wrote, Luther's New Testament was so much multiplied that even tailors and shoemakers, yea, even women and ignorant persons, studied it with the greatest avidity as the fountain of all truth. In a few months, such people deemed themselves so learned that they were not ashamed to dispute about faith and the gospel, not only with Catholic laymen, but even with priests and monks and doctors of divinity. God's word empowered and liberated everyone who had access to it. Regular people could interact with and interpret scripture on their own. This freedom changed the landscape of the church and culture in Western Europe. It encouraged universal education so everyone would be able to read the Bible and influenced later Bible translations, making the way for the versions we read today. And that's your Church History Minute. God's word impacts communities because it impacts individuals. And here is something I believe with all of my heart. You cannot read scripture and leave unchanged. Even if you read it with a hard heart, even if you're reading it out of spite, and there's amazing stories about people who, who say this, they look to scripture almost out of spite or with a hard heart to find things wrong with it. And, it, and, and somehow God speaks to them. I believe this is because we cannot encounter the God of the Bible who is alive, who is listening to us talk about him right now, who is not in our imagination, who is not a myth or a legend, who, who is the father, who has a son, Jesus Christ, who is also alive and listening to us talk about him right now. We cannot encounter them in God's word and leave unchanged. And so when we do this as communities, as local churches or as groups of friends or whoever it is, when we study scripture together, God will speak to us and he will move us. And what I've seen, uh, especially in my work in the last 15 years, is that one of the things that happens when people start studying God's scripture is that people become unable to ignore the vulnerable in our world. The more that we study God's word, the more that we have a hard time ignoring people who are experiencing injustice, people who are experiencing oppression, people who are suffering. And I think it's because so much of scripture is a story about injustice or sin infecting a person or a community and then being redeemed, or not being redeemed, to be honest, but ultimately being redeemed by Christ. And so one of the amazing things is how much there actually is in Scripture that's instructional for us. One of the great honors I have is to be a part of an organization called Tear Fund, and we actually have a curriculum to work with farmers. And these are farmers who live in very impoverished communities, these are communities where it maybe does not rain very much at all, where they have been in drought for maybe a couple of years, 
where they've lost crops year after year. And these are communities that are agricultural and dependent on the land for sustenance. They're not even just, you know, growing food like as a job. They're just growing food to feed themselves. And Tier Fund works with these communities. And one of the things we do is actually teach people how to farm to be more profitable, to grow more food using scripture. So we have a curriculum called Farming God's Way. And it's technical agricultural stuff, but all of the principles are from scripture. And the principles are things like honoring and caring for God's creation, which is something we obviously see all throughout scripture. But even when it comes to the land, we see that. I mentioned earlier reading about the year of Jubilee and how it really struck me because I'd never heard about this before. But one of the things in there is letting the land rest like actually letting it rest. Now, what happens, I'm not an agronomist, but what happens when you let land rest instead of working it, working it, working it, exploiting it, exploiting it, when you let it rest, it has a chance to have an increase in nutrients to recover, you know, it restores like nitrogen levels and all these things to soil. And then when you do plant on it, it's twice as productive for you. And so, this is like a really strange, detailed description of how, <laughs> how scripture can impact a community. But I've found in my work that like we can use scripture not only to draw people closer to God, but to help people live differently. When I was still at college and it was the year after I read through the Bible for the first time myself, me and a number of friends started studying scripture together on Sunday nights. And it was kind of like our own little Bible study. We didn't have any big aspirations for it. It was just sort of, let's read the book of Acts. The book of Acts describes the earliest church. Let's just read about them and how they lived. And this study of the book of Acts, which wasn't, we weren't using anyone's curriculum. We weren't like plugged into some really cool awesome, well thought through video series. Like we were a, a handful of friends reading, reading the book of Acts and talking about it together. Well, that small gathering of five friends reading scripture together within a few months turned into a, what for us was a huge gathering in our home of 30 to 50 people sharing a meal together and praying for each other in sharing our struggles and our suffering with each other and people telling stories of what they had experienced in life, the challenges they had experienced that they had never felt comfortable sharing with anyone their whole lives. And we had this chance to lay hands on each other and pray for healing, pray for God's restoration, pray for redemption, pray for comfort. And all of this started with us just reading the Bible together, a small group of like five people. And then that group of 30 to 50 that gathered every Sunday night suddenly was like, we don't want to just do this. We ended up going to our college campus and raising funds for tsunami relief because that was the year there was this huge tsunami in Southeast Asia that was devastating to communities. There was also a conflict in the western part of Sudan that year in the Darfur region. And we ended up raising all kinds of money and, and, and doing all kinds of education on our campus about this is what's happening to our brothers and sisters in this part of the world. We have to do something about it. We're inviting you to give to, 
you know, this organization that's providing relief to refugees and internally displaced people leaving this conflict. And it just couldn't, we couldn't be contained. Like we just started out as a group of people reading the book of Acts. And before we knew it, we were praying for each other, speaking into each other's lives, helping each other because we all had our own needs. But then we couldn't be contained. Like it wasn't because we were amazing and hugely motivated and had done all these leadership courses. Like we were just a bunch of kids reading the Bible who could not be contained. And we saw the world and we couldn't help but want to respond and declare that God never intended it to be this way that God never intended there to be hunger. God never intended there to be suffering. God never intended there to be genocide. God never intended there to be tsunamis that devastated entire cities. And that as his children, we were going to tell the world who God was, that he wasn't the one behind all this stuff, and that he had a better plan. That all emerged literally from us reading the book of Acts as a group of five. And over the course of time, God's Spirit leading us and guiding us and motivating us and speaking to us to this point where we were raising thousands of dollars, reaching hundreds of people on our campus, and teaching them about who God was and what He was up to in the world. have a confession to make. Mm-hmm. Um, the first Bible that I ever read like seriously was a kid's Bible, but I was an adult. <laughs> okay. Tell us about that. So it's not that I had like never read a Bible. Like I had gotten them before. I think I even like had gotten one from like a grandparent or something when I turned 13, but I just mm-hmm. never really like read them. So I started going to live church when I was in college and I really loved kids and I wanted to serve. And so I was like, okay, I'll serve in life kids. Cause I didn't, I served with two year olds. So I didn't even think that we would really be teaching them anything. Well, I was mm-hmm. wrong and we <laughs> were teaching them like our, the curriculum is actually called Bible app for kids curriculum. And so it was all about the Bible. And so I realized that I was teaching these two year olds stories that they kind of knew better than I did. Um, <laughs> like I kind of knew the bullet points of like the major ones that everybody like kind of has grasp for like David and Goliath. It's like, yeah, there was a giant and there was a guy named David in there, but I didn't really know the full extent of the story. And so I was like, well, if I'm going to be teaching these kids, I probably need to have a pretty good understanding of it. So I looked at the kids Bible that we use to teach the kids and I would read the stories and that kind of helped me understand like, oh, okay, this is what's happening here. Gotcha. So, so you're, so you're reading a kid's Bible so that you can help kids to learn about the Bible. Yes. How did, how did that feel? I was really embarrassed about it, honestly. Like I didn't tell a lot of people because I assumed that they would tell me that I couldn't serve in the room anymore. Oh. So you're feeling like everybody probably already knows all this and I just have to catch up. Yeah, because I mean, I had grew I grew up around Christians my whole life. So people like even if they didn't really go to church, they would say like, "Oh yeah, well I'm a Christian." And so I just assumed like, well, everybody knows all these stories. So I probably should pretend like I know all of these stories too. You know what I like about your story, Allie, is for some of us, we maybe at some point, you know, we've been reading the Bible and we know all the stories and we listen to a story like Jason Folletta and we feel like, oh man, I really need to start 
living out what I read in scripture. I really need to, um, you know, like Jason talked about, I really need to care about injustice in the world. I really need to uh, uh, speak up for the people who Jesus would speak up for. And, but we have all, maybe all this knowledge of scripture. In your case, you are actually doing the things that Jesus asked us to do. Here you are caring for little kids just because it's in your heart to do it. And that caused you to realize a need for scripture. I just think that's pretty cool. Like there's so many ways into this. Yeah. Well, I mean, I'm just curious, like what your experience was though, because I mean, you and Laura kind of grew up hearing scripture. So how did hearing Jason's story influence you? I know that when we first heard Jason's story the first time in that meeting, I left just really encouraged and um, just had a real uh, drive to lean even further into the reading that I was doing in God's Word in the Bible. And I think that tells me that for people who have grown up in the church or at least who have had... um, more experience with scripture, that it's easy for us to um, get into these modes where scripture reading and other parts of our faith can become routine because we Mm -hmm. just have a lot of things going on in life. We get focused on work or we get focused on family and reading the Bible just becomes this one other thing we need to check off during our day. But Mm -hmm. when we get to hear other people's stories and how they have interacted with scripture and how God's word has affected them and their hearts and propelled them to act like Christ, that um, that's really encouraging for me. And it makes me want to take more steps and to sort of mine further into um, just the depths that the Bible contains. So something uh, kind of along those lines for me, Laura, listening to Jason, he said something about like, the more we understand God, the more that we can become like him. The more we know Jesus's story, the more we can become like him. Um, I've been in this place for a little while with scripture of like, you get to the parts that you just don't understand and it can be frustrating. So I'm actually reading through the Bible in a year right now. And I'm several days behind. So I'm in I'm in Leviticus. And today's chapter is like what to do with bodily discharges. I yeah. mean, that was the, just like, oh. Yep. And so you get to stuff in scripture. And my tendency is like, honestly, I just don't even want to deal with it. Mm-hmm. Like, uh, this is frustrating or this is inconsistent uh, with what I know of science today or things like that. And I think I've done that too many times. Um, that when you have a relationship with a person and you have conversations with them and they say something and you're like, well, I'm not sure that's trustworthy or I'm not sure I feel about that. I'll just kind of brush that to the side. You can do that once, but if you do it enough times, Mm -hmm. eventually you kind of brush that person to the side. Right. And I think I had begun to brush scripture to the side too often. And so what I heard in Jason's story, I literally breathed a sigh of relief the first time I heard him tell it, is that I can go into these difficult parts of scripture. I mean, he was quoting Exodus. Mm -hmm. I can go into these difficult parts. And if I wrestle with them, I actually come out knowing God better. 
if I ask God my difficult questions, if I if I deal with the parts I don't understand, I can come out on the other end actually knowing myself better, actually knowing God better, actually following Jesus better. And so that was encouraging for me. And I've just got to be honest with you. I'm like, that's that's exactly where I am right now. Mm-hmm. So, um, but I feel hope. I feel relieved. I feel like, oh, this is a good place to be. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. What I love about that too is that it kind of reminds me about how I felt like reading that kid's Bible and feeling like, oh, I should know this or feeling like I have to pretend to know more than I really do. And I Mm -hmm. think sometimes we can kind of feel like, oh, well, I'm supposed to have this all figured out. But I think Mm -hmm. I'm learning that it's okay. And actually, you're probably never going to get it all figured out, but that it's okay to admit that you don't know. And that's been really helpful for me. Yeah, like, so you're sitting there with the kid's Bible as a college student, and I'm sitting here, you know, trying to be a a dad and a good husband, and I'm, I'm... doing this podcast, helping others to learn about scripture. And we are probably both at these different times in our life feeling the same kind of inadequacy when it came to scripture. And I think if we can be honest about those moments with each other um, and we can actually bring those questions to God and each other, um, scripture can really change us in a powerful way. Mm -hmm. Oh, for sure. So if you're listening and you're like, I'm inspired, I'm ready to go read scripture, I'm still not really sure where to start. I would just say that there are a lot of resources out there. So if you're like me and you're just really not sure where to start, I would encourage you to download the YouVersion Bible app. So I downloaded it like six years ago, and it has been probably the best thing to help me get connected to scripture and make it a part of my routine. And I think what makes it so easy is is that it's literally just an app on my phone. So when I wake up, I just open it and then all of a sudden I'm reading the Bible. And it's also really helpful because there's tons of Bible plans in there that will help you start reading scripture by giving you kind of an introduction and give you some context for what you're about to read. And so if that's you, I would just say download the Bible app. We'll have a link in the conversation guide about how you can get it. And we'll recommend some Bible plans to help you get started. There's a really cool one um, that our church created called The Bible Explained, and it has some video teaching in there, and there's a whole video studies to go with it, too. So you can get all of those links in the conversation guide in the show notes wherever you're listening. And we would also just encourage you to talk about it with other people, similarly to how Jason Saleda talked about how he and a group of friends just talked about Acts together. Do that with some people in your life this week. Find a couple of people that you can talk about this with and be honest and talk about the questions that you have. And if you've enjoyed this conversation with Jason Faleta as much as we have, I hope you'll just leave us a review, be sure to subscribe, and tell your friends about the podcast. And thanks for listening.